Hello and welcome to the Tillage Age with me, Michael Hennessy. This is your regular update for all your tillage news and advice. Over the last few months, the level of commentary and concern has increased around the environment and the impact we're having on the world around us. The concern about greenhouse gases and climate change are at the top of every government's to-do list, but also for the corporate world. There's also concern about our water and how this will be protected in the short and medium term. Tillage farmers are part of the problem, but equally may be part of the solution. The recent Crops Forum delves into both the greenhouse gases or carbon area and also the impact of tillage farming on water quality. Dr. Gary Lanigan from Chagas spoke about the carbon cycle and how farmers can maximise carbon capture on their farms. Eddie Burgess from the Agricultural Catchments Programme in Chagas describes the issue with nitrate leaching from tillage land and how this can be mitigated. The full webinar can be found on the Chagas Crops YouTube page. We've pulled together the questions and answers section from the webinar to give you a flavour of the information discussed. So after Gary finished his presentation, I first asked him who will pay the farmer for sequestering carbon? This is the $64,000 question. Certainly within, within industry, within the foods and drinks industry, um, it's very, very high on their agenda. Um, the, whole, the whole area of sustainability and uh, sustainability from uh, green from an environmental, but also from a, um, a social responsibility point of view, um, is becoming much, it's going much more up the agenda of the big companies. If you look at the moment, nearly all of the large food and drinks companies and in fact, all the large multinationals are um, are employing, uh, you know, directors of sustainability. They're, uh, you know, they're investing huge amounts of money in sustainability research. We see it across uh, our food companies, for example, and the foods and drinks industry. You know, getting uh, a, a, a carbon neutral, um, a carbon neutral point or a carbon neutral loaf of bread. Uh, is is very very high up the agenda, you know, and 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 really being able to prove that on farms is is in fact I suppose one of the the central tenets and you know one of the central uh, you know driving factors of the signpost farms, you know. So how can we uh, work towards uh, climate neutral agriculture now for the tillage sector? That's probably not going to be too difficult. Um, but for animal agriculture, uh, it's, it, it is going to be uh, very, very challenging. Okay. So if we go back then to the uh, tillage farm being able to um, trap more carbon than they're emitting. Mm. So if you like, we have, say, a tillage farmer has, in your example, there are a number of tons. Are those going to be a valuable commodity to be traded, if you like? Can it be traded at the moment? And is there a prospect um, of it, in the future? Okay, so yeah, so they, at the moment they can't be traded, um, but there is certainly, there is nothing to stop either the government uh, introducing a, a, a national uh, domestic offsetting scheme. They're doing it in France, they're doing it in uh, New Zealand. Um, so, so there is the opportunity there, um, but there is also the opportunity for private companies, for example, uh, to trade in, in carbon uh, credits. So you see, for example, in the US, there is actually quite a vibrant carbon market um, out there. 
Um, and there's loads of companies going around verifying the carbon credentials of farms. They, they're on to me now nearly monthly, um, particularly because we're, we're setting up um, the series of flux terrors across you know, our signpost farms and monitoring sites um, to verify how much carbon is actually being uh, stored in our soils. So, so it, 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 it is going to, 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 to gain traction and how valuable it will be will depend on the price of carbon. So the price of carbon on the, on the emission traded sector markets at the moment is roughly about 50 euros a ton. So, you know, if you're sequestering, you know, two, three tons a hectare, uh, you know, that's, that's 150 euros a hectare, you know, so it, 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 it depends on how the market will evolve, but certainly a market will evolve because there's only one, there's only one way the price of carbon is going to go, and that's up. Oh, Gary, just on that, is it, uh, so you came up with kind of a, a net at the very end for that farm. Is it the net bit that's traded or is it the bit that you sequester along the way that's traded on a per hectare basis? Okay, so it yeah, it depends on, on, on what you're measuring and what your boundary is. But uh, ultimately, it should be the, the, the amount of... Um, so, for example, if you, it, it should be the amount of carbon in the, the... If you put in a project and the project is to grow two hectares of forestry on your land, um, it can be bounded by that single project. So it could simply be that two or three hectares of forestry depends what you elect into it. You could elect the whole farm into it and make the whole farm uh, carbon neutral. It, 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 it ultimately depends on who's purchasing the credits. If it's for a single project, it can be simply a single field. If it is the government doing it, uh, it would probably be across the entire farm and the, okay. the entire enterprise. We have a question here uh, about um, the carbon loss through ploughing, which mm. said was one and a half to two tonnes. I think um, there was that was in a diagram, and it's just uh, one of the participants here is just didn't quite understand it. You might maybe just go across that again. Okay, yeah. So so there's there's kind of two or three ways that that ploughing induces um, loss of carbon. And um, the first way is it breaks up the soil aggregates. So it exposes some of the carbon that's physically protected um, to decomposition. And the second thing it does is it erates the soil. So it allows more oxygen down into the profile and, and the microbes that, that eat soil carbon, um, they need oxygen the same way we do. Um, so as you erate the soil more, you get more accelerated decomposition. And, and the other thing that you do is you actually expose carbon that's been that's been protected for quite a long time. So mainly carbon that's been sloshing around in the system for hundreds of years. Um, you expose that to decomposition and replace it with carbon that comes and goes quite quickly. So, so there's, there's actually three mechanisms by which soil carbon is lost uh, via um, you know, inversion plowing. Okay. You know? and, and in fact, in fact, Michael, like, you know, one of the things we're looking at is actually going to very deep ploughing um, and actually trying to, 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 to actually bury the carbon-rich topsoil further down. Which is, in, which is uh, an impact in a grassland type situation. Correct, yeah. Okay. 
I'm going to ask you this one, and I think the, the answer mightn't be overly simple necessarily because we're getting into all sorts of complexities. But anyways, uh, uh, do the forestry values that you put out there assume mm -hmm. that the output, i.e. the timber, is fixed and secure as a sea storage method? Uh, so if okay, the output, so I'll just finish, I'll finish the question, Gary, and come in. And so if the timber yeah. output was just displacing timber from other sources and not, was not counted as a permanent store, how would forestry sea balance be affected? I know we're kind of getting into the forestry one, so you might keep this. Yeah, no, but, but that's okay. Um, so the, 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 the figures I quoted uh, were for a 20-year-old forestry stance, and that would be the, the amount of carbon being sequestered per year uh, by that stand. Um, so what happens uh, when forestry uh, uh, reaches, um, you know, gets to clear felling? So the carbon is assumed to accumulate uh, during the, the, the period during which the, the forest is growing. You get canopy closure and then you either thin or you clear fell. So if you clear fell, the carbon isn't all assumed to go back up into the air. It enters a pool called harvested wood products. And those products, depending on what they are, be they furniture or be they put into houses, have different uh, um, periods. They have different uh, lifetimes. So, so when you cut down the, the, the wood um, in your forest, it's not all assumed to just kind of disappear up as CO2 automatically. Okay. Gary, I'm going to ask you this one. Uh, it was asked in what are the main challenges of uh, carbon in a mixed farming system, but I suppose maybe the, the real question here is that would a mixed farming system with um, uh, animals and tillage involved in that, and perhaps forestry, you already said there, allow a more carbon neutral farming system? Yeah, and, and the answer is probably yes, um, because if you have a mixed farming system, then you can rotate your grassland around the farm, and um, so you can, you can uh, help um, uh, ameliorate your soil organic carbon that way. Um, if you can, again, bring some woodland features into, into it, um, we're starting some experimentation on agroforestry, uh, for example, um, uh, or, or again, manage your hedgerows better, which will not only improve your carbon uh, content of your hedgerows and your soil underneath, but the biodiversity of the hedgerows. If you can bring all these mixes together, if you can manage your manure well, and um, you know utilize your slurry instead of uh, concentrating on mineral fertilizer, you can bring legumes into the system again to displace mineral fertilizer. Then absolutely, within a mixed livestock uh, uh, and tillage farming system, yeah, you can achieve carbon neutrality. Yeah or get very, very close. Gary, just one last question before we, we, we go across Eddie Burgess. Um, and the question is really um, about the amount of carbon taken up by different crops. Is there a fairly, yeah. is there a direct association with the level of dry matter taken up by each crop? So the, the higher it yields, the more carbon it gets, or is it more complex than that? No, it's more complex than that. Um, and it's mainly more due to how long the, 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 the green, the, 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 the green, area index of the of the field is so so if a winter crop for example will capture more carbon uh, than say a spring crop so a perfect example would be maize which of course has a very high uh, a very high dry matter yield um, but actually loses more carbon out of that you, you lose more carbon out of that system than you would say out of a winter oil seed rate or a winter wheat system 
Following on from this questions and answers session with Gary, Eddie Burgess delivered his presentation on nitrate leaching, which highlighted tillage farmers are part of the nitrate leaching problem, especially in the southeast of the country. Eddie was joined on the panel by Shea Phelan, a tillage specialist in Chagas. I first asked Eddie about the contribution of livestock sector and why these farmers aren't more in the firing line for nitrate leaching into rivers. Yeah, I'd say they are, Michael, to be honest. Um, I, I, we're working a lot with the, with the nitrates review document at the moment, and I've came back from, from Moor Park, had an open day, have today and the previous days I've had an open day, and all the discussion uh, is on sustainability and the review of the nitrates action program. And the couple of, of changes that I've mentioned there are, are significant for the tillage sector, but there are a lot more changes coming, coming down the line for, for the livestock sector in general, but more specifically for the intensive dairy farming, dairy farming under derogation. And the derogation is, is uh, the term derogation, I think people don't realize, derogation is a derogation to the rules. It, it has to be applied for, and it has to be approved. That's, it's not a given. Um, and the derogation may not be, be approved. So I uh, just wanted to, one of the main measures you identified there uh, is cover crops. I just wanted to come to Shay here for a second. Shay, when, when cover crops go in, how much of the nitrates or how far does that go in terms of, of, of lapping it up? And I suppose the other small question with it then, if a farmer um, uh, grazes that um, cover crop before the end of the year, does that impact on the nitrate leaching, if you like? Yeah, it's a good question, Michael. It's, it's kind of like a piece of string. How long is a piece of string? So if you take it yesterday, it was a closing date for glass catch crop sowing. So if you're putting in a, a glass catch crop yesterday, chances are um, it's not going to take up too much. It's not going to mop up too much nitrogen uh, from now to the end of the season. Plus, you also have to factor in that since the crop was removed, like Eddie showed earlier on, that there are there is nitrate nitrate being leached when the crop has been removed, so it's not going to take back up that nitrate. So ideally, uh, with with catch crops, the earlier you can get them in, the better. Um, and ideally, in a situation where say something like winter barley, if you're going to have to winter barley, um, you can. And I see I've seen crops at the moment where there's uh, fodder rape and fodder kale, and if we can use the measure like that, that have a GAI of over one at the moment. So if you take at that in that scenario they have their they've nitrate levels in that crop of about 50 kilos a hectare so in that scenario there they've already taken that nitrate risk out of the equation already because the nitrate is actually stored in the crop so in that scenario yeah there, there's huge capacity there but it depends on the catch crop when you sow them and the type of catch crop you sow as well um, from the point of view then of grazing them like those crops that are sown um th those fodder rake and fodder kales they are sown. Um, if they are grazed off pre-Christmas or shortly after Christmas, obviously that nitrate is, it, the, the crop is transformed into nitrate and the, the urine and dung that's left behind by the animals. And that is a potential that there is, there is um, potential that that is, can, be, can be lost to the system again, I suppose. But obviously the closer you graze them to a crop being sown in the spring, and uh, the better from that point of view, from the from the, the risk of nitrate or le nitrate leaching. Um, so ideally, if you can leave to grazing until after Christmas, it's probably better from that point of view. Okay, Eddie, can I come back to you? Cover crops, I suppose, are the main one that you identified. Is there any other measures that a tillage farmer can put in place to help reduce nitrate losses? Uh, there is, and they're, and they're doing them all, Michael. 
Um, good nutrient management, having the pH right. The main one, avoiding excessive nitrogen nitrogen. It's the surplus nitrogen that, that causes the problem. I'm not saying not to put out what's recommended, but if, you're, if your pH is incorrect or if your K levels are low, uh, trying to compensate by going out with an extra 20 units of nitrogen is not, is not the way to fix it. You, ne you need to get the, the overall soil fertility correct in the first place. And my experience is a lot of tillage farmers are doing that. Okay. Straw incorporation measure that uh, that's in now and, and planning straw in that that um, that may soak up a lot of nitrogen that's in the soil. I, I talked about the carbon nitrogen ratio and the breakdown of the organic matter in straw that gets incorporated. The microbes in that will will take nitrogen out of the soil for them to grow to break down the straw there. So that could be a benefit from 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 uh, a nitrate leaching point of view as well. Okay, I'm going to ask you one final question because we're just a little bit over time and I apologize for that for maybe another five minutes or so. Um, as, regards, as regards nitrates, is it possible to get to, if you like, zero or close to zero in terms of nitrates in, in the river? Uh, and I suppose in the same regard, do we have a handle on what the background nitrate leaching is, even if, if we didn't do intensive agriculture? Yeah, uh, that, well, that's a very good, very good question, Michael. Um, <laughs> Uh, Sorry, no. I, 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I'd say I'd say no is the answer. We don't know what the background level is. The the EPA have highlighted a trend of increasing nitrate levels. In in um, in my opinion, a lot of that is driven by the changing in weather pattern, the drier summers followed by wetter winters that flush out nitrogen that that's mineralized there. Um, Crops receiving no nitrogen, like beans, uh, are probably higher, are, are ironically, are a higher risk for nitrate loss than uh, crops that have a lower uh, nitrate use efficiency, like oilseed rape, because of the growth pattern of oilseed rape at this time of the year is soaking up mineralized nitrogen that would otherwise have been available for loss. Um, Organic farming is prone to nitrate loss for you leaching. Clover is often put out there as, as an excellent nitrate, um, nitrogen environmental crop. Again, nitrate fixed by clover is just as prone to loss by leaching as nitrogen coming out of a bag. So good nutrient management practice and not putting on the excessive amount, applying it when, when you have growth, take it up, um, I, I, are, are key to, to minimizing losses. So that's it for the Tillage Edge, and my thanks to Gary, Eddie, and Shay for the excellent update from the Crops Forum. The full video of the Crops Forum can be found on the Chagas Crops YouTube page. So finally, don't forget, if you like this podcast, then recommend it to a friend or colleague. And as always, review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. And for more information, go to chagas.ie. I'm Michael Hennessy. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next week with more Tillage news and advice.